This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Okay, if you would, turn with me to Matthew 22, and let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, before your throne of grace, to find grace and help, Lord, just as you've instructed. Father, we pray uh, now as we open your word and continue worship, Lord, that you open up our minds grant illumination. May we hear this passage before us, not merely with the physical ear, but, Lord, may we perceive and understand. Father, we acknowledge that we're dependent on You for that. And again, pray that You you grant it. Open our ears to hear. And Lord, I acknowledge uh, my weakness and Ask for enablement. Enable me to speak, I pray, the very message you want delivered with clarity and accuracy. And Father, uh, we pray that we not leave here tonight, any, anybody in this room, that we not leave here tonight unaffected by your truth. Lord, if there's a person in this room who does not know you in truth, We pray that You take Your Word, Your truth, by the power of Your Spirit, home to their heart and save their soul. And Lord, for all of Your children in this room, those who know You already, Lord, we pray um, that You do Your sanctifying work. We're sanctified by Your truth. Your Word is truth. We trust in You for it, and we thank You for it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with a question that you've probably all heard before, especially if you've, uh, if you've encountered some, uh, uh, you know, different, you've looked at different, uh, styles and types of evangelism, and I don't know who came up with this question originally, um, but I think it has some validity, and I'll explain that as I, I go, but um, here, here's the question. I want you to just hear it for what it is first, and then we'll, we'll kind of come back and explain it. Um, if you stood before God today, tonight, let's say tonight, and He asked you, why should I let you in? Heaven is the way that it's usually phrased. Why should He let you in His presence forever? What would your answer be? And I mean a good honest answer. I'm not asking anybody to raise your hand and answer out loud. I want you to think in your mind, in your heart. What would your answer be? If you stood before God tonight and He said, Why should I let you in? What would your answer be? 
Now keep that in mind. We'll come back to it, Lord willing. And let's look at these first 14 verses of Matthew 22. Verse 1, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. We are still in the same context tonight as we look at this passage. Jesus is answering um, the questions and the accusations of the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders, that is, of Israel, the religious leadership. And as He's doing that, He is indicting them and even pronouncing judgment upon them. We were talking a little bit just in our Knowing God class just a little while ago about what is called an oracle of woe. That's a serious thing. It's not, you know, we kind of make light of it sometimes. You know, woe is me. I used to remember the Linda Ronstadt song. I used to love that song, you know. Woe is me, you know, poor, poor, pitiful me. <laughs> and, and you can picture the guys on Hee Haw, you know, singing gloom and despair and agony on me. That's, that's kind of what we think of a lot of times. Woe, woe is me. Self-pity. But when you see that word in the Scripture, in the prophets, or from the mouth of Jesus like here, again, it's what's known as an oracle of woe. That is a, a, a divine word from God pronouncing judgment. It is a severe pronouncement of judgment. If you keep that in mind, when you read Isaiah 6, 
when Isaiah has his vision of the Lord, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. He saw a vision of God in all of His glory. The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And Isaiah's response, and he saw the seraphim praising Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, for I'm undone. And if you keep the definition in mind that we just talked about, you'll understand that what Isaiah was saying was not just some empty, shallow statement of self-pity, but he was pronouncing judgment on himself because he saw at that moment the holiness of God, the glory of God. And that vision magnified his own view of his own sinfulness. And so he said, woe, woe! Here is a prophet of God pronouncing an oracle of woe upon himself. Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He saw his own sinfulness. It's, it's a severe pronouncement of judgment. Well, that's what Jesus is doing in these verses, and we're going to see it again as, as we go into, especially into chapter 23, where He's just repeatedly, Woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Woe to you, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Woe to you, Pharisees and lawyers, over and over and over again, pronouncing judgment. Well, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's, he's pronouncing an indictment against the leadership, against all unbelievers here uh, that, he's, that he's confronted with, and pronouncing judgment upon them, judgment to come, sure judgment to come. We'll see more of that as we go. Of course, he's going to really unpack that in chapter 24. So, um, stay tuned for that. <clears throat> but now he does, again, what we saw this morning as he presents them again with another indictment. He does it in the form of a parable. So, very similar to what we saw this morning with the parable of the tenants. And there they were pictured as um, these rebellious tenants who refused to bring the fruits that the landowner uh, demanded um, when, when God, there's a picture there of God looking for fruit in the nation of Israel. Just again, just like we saw in verses 18 and 19, Jesus comes to the fig tree. There's a, a, a representation of the nation of Israel and He finds no, no fruit. And so He curses it. And that's what's happening in this parable. And that's what's happening in this whole passage in reality, what Jesus is doing. He's saying to them, you've missed the day of your visitation. You have, you have rebelled down through the centuries. You have rebelled. We sent you messenger after messenger after messenger. And you've mistreated them. You've stoned them. You've killed them. And now the Son Himself has come to His own people. And His own people did not receive Him. Light came into the world and men loved darkness. You've missed the day of your visitation. Now you suffer the consequences. So he's, he's putting that again in parable form. A little bit different emphasis here uh, that I think we'll notice as we go, but, but very similar to the parable uh, in the previous chapter, verses 33 through 46. And this time it's a wedding feast celebration. 
And another simile, verse 2, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Now there, it's, it's, these aren't hard, are they? I mean, it's obvious right off. Who, who, who is the, the king? Well, God, of course. And who is the son? Jesus. So just similarly to the last parable, the landowner represented God. He sends his son. That's Jesus. So this time he's, he's making a feast for his son, a marriage celebration, a marriage supper. And verse 3 says, He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Well, who would the servants be? The prophets. That's right. Yeah, the, again, uh, the prophets. And you, you could lump the, the, the apostles in here because uh, this, this really isn't... Uh, it's, it's still playing out while Jesus is talking about it, you know. And it's going to continue to play out even after the resurrection. Um, so the prophet, that's right, the prophets, the righteous men, lump the, the, uh, the apostles in here and other Christians probably. He sends out his servants to call those who were, what? Invited. Notice the language there. A lot of, uh, in the, well, I say a lot, and I don't know, what, I, don't, I haven't done any statistics or anything, but some people in, in the reform circles today want to reject that kind of language. You, you know, the gospel's not an invitation. Well, uh, Jesus used that language. It's, it's an invitation. It's an invitation um, to all. But specifically here, who's he referring to? Who, who are the ones invited? The Jews, that's right, it's going to be the very people, and note this, it's going to be the very people who wind up rejecting Him. That's why I point that out, because Jesus does use the language of invitation, referring to those who will ultimately reject Him and suffer His wrath. Okay? But He still says they were invited. They, they were invited to come. We'll come back to that, Lord willing. They, they were called in one sense. But... They were not willing. So again, verse 3. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So he had a, he had a list. You know, let's just use this analogy, wedding, wedding, supper invitations. And he's, he's got a list, an original list of people who are invited to come. And that's representing the Jews, the nation of Israel. But they were not willing to come. Now, this is, this is a slap in the face. If you just think about the parable, the analogy that Jesus is using, you've got a, a king inviting you to come and join in the celebration of the wedding of his son. Well, what an honor that would be, right? I know that's a little foreign to us because we don't have kings in American culture. We, it's always a challenge when we come to those things in the Scripture because we don't... Um, we're not used to living under a monarchy. But, but we get the idea. It would be a great privilege, a great honor. That's not something you, you would want to turn down. So it's, it's a slap in the face. He, he invites them to come, and they all say, no, they're not willing to come. That's going to be key also. You may want to underline that. They were not willing. Jesus uses that language more than, more than once. Um, in fact, let me give you a, another example that I will probably um, refer back to. 
in, in chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Does that sound familiar? I mean, this, this is what's being pictured in, in both of these parables. And Jesus is stating it explicitly in, in 2337. Uh, and this is what they actually did historically. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That is uh, also recorded in Luke thirteen thirty-four. <clears throat> so they were not willing. In verse 4, again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner, my, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's great news. <laughs> if you think about that for a moment, that's great news. All things are ready. The king has prepared a feast. And what we've got here is a, a, an analogy of God uh, making preparation for us to come into eternal fellowship with, with His Son. And all things are ready. He's, he's not demanding that everybody bring a covered dish. Aren't you glad? He, I mean, he doesn't send out word. I want you to. I want you to come, and I want you to work hard and bring a bring a good dish that everybody's going to enjoy. And I know that that's work, by the way. I don't cook, and and so you know, I come to these. We have dinner on the grounds, whatever what they used to call it, dinner on the grounds. We do these kinds of suppers sometimes, and and. Uh, um, I, I don't contribute in that regard, and, and trust me, you're probably better off that I don't. Um, but I don't want you to think I take it for granted. I, I, it's, I know it's work. I know it's work. Um, but he doesn't demand that we bring something to the table, does he? All things are ready. I mean, not only has he invited them, he's saying... I've done everything. It, it's, I've, I've made the necessary preparations. All you have to do is show up. Again, think about the parable this morning, verse 33. He did the work. He, the landowner, he planted a vineyard. He set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press. He built a tower. He, he, he got everything ready, everything done, so that that vineyard could be fruitful. So everything's ready, he says. Come to the wedding. Just just come. Just show up. In verse 5, but they made light of it and went their ways. And that's one reason I pointed out a moment ago that uh, what a privilege that would be to be invited by royalty to come and dine at the table. That was always seen as a great privilege. Remember the... Uh, the uh, Son of, uh, uh, of, uh, help me out, Jonathan. Son of Jonathan, who David told him, from now on you're going to eat at my table. And that was David's way of, of blessing him, bringing him into his fellowship, and, you know, taking, uh, taking his needs on and, uh, and providing for him. From now on you're going to eat with me. You're going to eat at my table. That's a great privilege. They didn't appreciate it. They took it lightly. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his own 
form another to his business. That is, they, they all had excuses. They all had something they had to do. Well, let me just go back. One guy said to Jesus, let me just go back and say farewell to all of my family. Well, I need to go back and, and bury my father. And then, you know, once I get that taken care of, I'll, I'm with you. Jesus said to one man, look, who had great wealth. We just talked about that recently. Sell everything you've got. Take the money. Give it to the poor. You come follow me. And he went away grieved, that, that young man, because he had great possessions. Every, everybody's got an excuse. Well, I can't, I can't go because I've got to do this. I've got to take care of this or I've got to do that. I'm, I'm too young. got my whole life ahead of me. There's a lot of things I could be doing. I, you know, too much I want to do. I can't, I can't serve Jesus. And besides, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's just too serious a matter. I'm, I'm out having a lot of fun right now. That's, I got too much to do. Or I'm too old, you know, whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I'm not the right age. I've, I've got this going. I've got that going. Everybody's got an excuse. And the rest of them, and boy, this will sound familiar again, if you're thinking about the last parable. The rest seized his servants, verse 6, treated them spitefully and killed them. So, there's, in just a few verses, the history of Israel. They, they've been invited. They've been invited to fellowship with God. They've been invited to come to the marriage feast. Enjoy fellowship with the Son of God. And prophets down through the ages have been coming and exhorting them. But they've, they've always had something else to do. You know, well, we've got somebody else to worship. Something else we've got to do. And they killed the prophets. And now the Son Himself is on the scene and they reject Him. They don't, they don't want fellowship with the Son. So they seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Verse 7, But when the king heard about it, he was furious. <clears throat> and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. We were just in our Knowing God class, talking about the wrath of God. I want to read just a little portion of this um, because it is so true that uh, so often this subject is, is considered taboo. Uh, we're, we're too uncomfortable talking about much of it. Yeah, let me see here. I wasn't prepared to do this, obviously, but I was just thinking about something we read a moment ago. Okay. The Bible labors the point that just as God is good to those who trust Him, so He is terrible to those who do not. The Lord is a jealous God. Now, this is, this is language from Scripture, specifically Nahum 1. And, and it's just... Uh, uh, 
extracted from there. It's all, all, all put together as a montage. The Lord is a jealous God and avengeth. The Lord avengeth and is full of wrath. The Lord taketh vengeance on His adversaries. And He reserveth wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will by no means clear the guilty. Who can stand before His indignation? And who can abide the fierceness of His anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken asunder by Him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knoweth them that put their trust in Him. But He will pursue His enemies into darkness. Nahum 1, 2 through 8. That's just one passage. Of course, he lists, he lists many. And we're looking at one here. Uh, I mean, Jesus is, is serious about the consequences. And as a matter of fact, verse 7, in the parable, he says, When the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, that's, that's uh, interesting because Jesus goes on to later to pronounce judgment upon Jerusalem as we... We read one passage a moment ago, and that's almost precisely what he says is going to happen. You're going to be surrounded by armies, and they're going to lay the city flat, and not one stone left upon another. I point that out because I think that's precisely what he has in mind here. Although here he, he inserts it in the parable, it almost sounds like, well, that's just a part of the parable, you know, not to be taken literally. But later he does say it explicitly that, that it will, will happen literally. And it did happen in 70 A.D. Um, Jerusalem was leveled by the Roman general Titus. Then he said to his servants, verse 8, Alright, so the, so the first group of people that he had invited rejected the invitation. And now the king, and, and they were dealt with accordingly. They suffered the consequences, verse 7. In verse 8, Then he said to his servants, that is, the king said to his servants, The wedding is ready. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> the wedding is ready. Everything's ready. There's going to be a wedding. And there's going to be guests. The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, verse 9, Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Now, he's, he's telling the, the servants, just go out indiscriminately and invite everybody to the wedding. That, that is, uh, and I know I've said this before, that is tremendous news for us Gentiles. Because that's what he has in view here. Not Gentiles only. I mean, he's, he's talking, I, I think, uh, well, I'll get to there in a minute. But he's, he, it, it does include us. And that, that has tremendous, uh, what Jesus says here has tremendous implications for us. So, he said, in, in, invite everyone you find, basically. So, verse 10, those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's what the king was looking for. 
You're going to have a great celebration. He wants to fill the hall up with gifts. And by the way, that's more good news for us. Um, he's, he's going to fill up his house. He's going to fill it to the full. The exact number that he intends to be there will be there. There's no chance that that's not going to happen. He's going to fill it up, fill up his house. So they go out and, and they just spread the word just like he said. His servants, um, prophets, righteous men, apostles, Christians preaching the gospel, Servants go out into the highways, gather together all they found, bad or good. And let me, let me say this because I don't want to be any confusion here. Both bad or good. He's not saying, by way of a parable here, he's not saying that, okay, in heaven there's going to be the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, there's going to be unrepentant people in heaven and repentant, you know, saints, those who have been saved. Not what he's saying. I mean, it, sound, it almost sounds like that because he says both bad and good. But I think simply what he's saying, because remember who he's talking to here. The chief priests and the Pharisees. And he's kind of using their, their standards here. Um, so I think simply what he's saying. If you, in fact, look back in verse 21 again. I mean, chapter 21, I'm sorry. Look back in chapter 21, verse, um, verse 31. Just after he's given the parable about the two sons, again, again, an indictment against the the Jews there because they wouldn't do the will of the Father. Um, he says, "Assuredly, middle of verse thirty-one. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots, or prostitutes, is what that means. Tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness." And you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. That's, that's what I think he's talking about over here um, when he says good and bad in verse 10. Both, both bad and good entered in. In other words, those who um, were considered to be morally upright by men's standards, and those who were not. Tax collectors and sinner and, and prostitutes rather were considered to be bad people. And Jesus had already told the chief priests, they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you do. So that's what he's saying. But he's saying to them, again, it's an indictment, saying to them, because you refuse the invitation, you're going to miss out. But others who will come will be welcomed in. Even though by your standards they're too bad and you're, and you're good by your standards, um, they're going to come. Verse 11, But when the king came, and boy, to this point, I mean, this, it, it's good, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, well, I mean, it's not good that the original ones refused. But it's, it's good that he gave the word, and we rejoice in that, that he gave the word. Go out into the highways and the byways and the hedges. Invite everybody, everybody that will may come, right? And they come, and the house is full. And then you get to verse 11. And it's kind of puzzling, isn't it? But when the king came in to see the guests, 
he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now remember, this is, this is the king who opened the door to all. Every, essentially, anybody that wants to come may come. The invitation is out there. And he sees a man at the feast that's not wearing a wedding garment. So he said in verse 12, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? In other words, the wedding garment was required to participate in the wedding celebration. And I'm, I'm assuming, I'm going to do a little speculating here but I'm, uh, on this point, but I'm, I'm assuming that it was provided because he ordered his servants to just go out everywhere and invite everybody who would come. So it's probably everybody's not walking around with the required wedding garment in their hand. Okay, I just happen to have a garment in my backpack, so I'll be there. I'm I'm assuming he's providing that. Because again, uh, number one, he's he's way surprised the guy doesn't have it on. And number two, he's upset because the guy doesn't have it on. So, it's, it's required... And he apparently provided it. Why don't you have it on? How did you get in here? How he says it. Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Now, again, if it was not provided, it seems like he would have said so, doesn't it? Wedding garment? What do you mean wedding I don't know I'm supposed to have a wedding garment. Where do I get a wedding garment? Tell me where to get one, I'll go get one. But it, it seems to me that, to indicate that it was provided. Regardless, it was required, and he did not have it on. And when he's confronted about it, he's speechless. And this is not a light thing. Verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that, that's a description of excruciating suffering. You know, when somebody gnashes their teeth, I mean, they're either seriously angry or they're in serious pain. And Jesus says, cast them out into outer darkness. Throw them out. The outside. Pitch black. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, of course, um, indicates agony. And gnashing of teeth also. So, so, not having that garment on was no small thing. And then Jesus finishes it up with verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Boy, the clock's really working against me here tonight. But I'm going to just say a few things and we'll wrap it up. If, If you stood before God tonight, and let me tell you something, your age doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter because any one of us could leave this world at any moment. Age doesn't matter. I, I, one funeral I, I helped, uh, uh, I assisted in a couple years ago, the young lady was 20 years old. She had a heart condition. And they told her to never have children because that would be too much on her. And she loved kids. She got pregnant. She survived the birth, but she only lived about six months after the baby was born. Twenty years old. And then we've all known of kids even even younger than that. Age is not really that much of a factor. We could all leave here at any moment. If you stand before God tonight, and whenever you leave, if it's tonight or if it's 80 years from now, you'll stand before God. And if, and, and yes, this is, this is just a, a rhetorical type question. I don't think God's going to ask this question. But it's just to make a point. If God said, why should I let you in? Why should I let you in heaven? As opposed to sending you to hell. What would your response be? How would you answer that question? Well, we have Abraham as our father. That's what they said to Jesus. John 8. And they put a lot of confidence in the flesh in in that sense that they thought their ethnicity guaranteed them a place in heaven. The Word of God refutes that. That's not the case. I was talking a few years ago with a uh, lady that I work with. She's Indian. You know, not a Cherokee, but I mean from... She's Brahmin, actually. She's from India. She's a Brahmin, which is a priestly tribe, or class, rather, and uh, caste, as they call them. She had some kind of little tattoo. She said that means, you know, that's that's they, they do that with the Brahmins, and she said that means that we automatically go to heaven. But then she kind of grinned and she said, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what it means. You know, that's what it's supposed to mean. 
and I had the opportunity to share with her, but you won't get there because you're a Brahmin. You won't get there because you're a Jew. What about all the good works we've done? Look at, look at the Pharisees and the, and the chief priests. I mean, these were, in one sense, yes, we look back at them as Christians and we think, well, these were some wicked people. But I, but I wonder if you'd been living in Jerusalem at that time, if you would have thought of them as wicked people. In other words, all I'm, all I'm saying is morally, in many ways, they were upright, what we would consider by men's standards to be upright. It was the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the beggars and those types that were looked down on by society. These, these guys were held in esteem and they certainly held themselves in esteem. So it's 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 not your morality, it's not your station in life. You know, well, I'm a I'm a I'm a pastor, I'm a religious leader. It's not your ethnicity. Excuse me. What is it then? How will you answer that question? If God says, "Why should I let you in?" It's one thing, brothers and sisters. It's where you stand with Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is why He's pronouncing judgment upon the Pharisees and the chief priests and all the other unbelievers here in front of Him. Precisely for that reason. Because they are unbelievers. Because they do not accept Him. Because they reject Him. And one of the unnerving things about this passage, like I say, if, if you could take out, what is it, verse 11 and 12 and 13, if you could take out 11, 12 and 13 and scoot 14 up there, this would be a pretty relatively easy passage, passage to deal with. But we've got this man in the wedding feast. He's among the party. He's there without a wedding garment. And the other guests don't seem to have a problem with it. They seem to be oblivious to it. He's one of the crowd. He's been invited. And he came. He showed up. He didn't say, I got, you know, I got to go take care of my farm. I got to do this. I got to do that. He showed up. He responded positively to the invitation and he showed up and he's among the crowd. And the king singles him out simply because he doesn't have a, the, the right attire? That seems a little severe, doesn't it? Get the man a wedding garment. That's kind of what you... you don't you have one in the foyer?
What's the deal with the attire? I want to submit this to you. And this, yes, is somewhat open to interpretation, but I think in light of everything that Jesus is saying and all that we've been talking about through all of this, uh, especially these past couple of chapters, the, the key issue here is their rejection of Christ. Remember? Their refusal to do God's will. That's, that's what you've got and all, all the way through here. Um, that's what you see in the fig tree in, in 21, 18, 19. It's not bearing fruit. Uh, or 18 through 22. In verses 23 through 26, roughly, um, they are questioning Jesus' authority. You know, that they don't, they don't like Him. They don't like His authority. And they did this, they, you know, they did the same thing. They rejected the authority of John the Baptist, as Jesus points out. Then the parable of the two sons, they are pictured as the ones who will not do the Father's will, which again is a key issue. In the parable of the, the vine dressers we talked about this morning, they are the rebellious tenants rising up against the landowner and trying to steal what is rightfully his. Kill the son, seize his inheritance. So I think the point that Jesus is making in verses 11 through 13 is that everybody is invited to come, but something is required. A garment, if you will. A covering. And that covering is the righteousness of Christ by faith in Christ. And without that covering, I mean, you can come, you can come, you can come through these doors, you can come through that door or those doors, and you can hang out with the people of God. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to eternity, you're not going in without a wedding garment. I'm not going in without a wedding garment. We're not going to make it on our own righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were doing. It's what the the unbelieving Jews were doing. Clothing themselves. Listen to the words of Paul here in Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal won't do it either, brothers and sisters. Ethnicity ain't going to do it. Zeal ain't going to do it. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Listen to what Paul says here. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who 
believes, that is everyone who has faith. What Paul say there? To establish your own righteousness. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the point. To establish your own righteousness is to reject the righteousness of God in Christ. It is one or the other. And the Jews, the Pharisees, the chief priests that Jesus was confronting were trusting in their own righteousness. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. They were still doing it in Paul's day. That's what he's saying there. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Because you can't do both. You do one or the other. You either submit to the righteousness of God in Christ through faith in Christ, which he says in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who has faith, to everyone who believes. You either do that or you trust your own. My garment's good enough. Who wants to go to the wedding? I do. Here's the garments. No. Mine's good enough. Mine's good enough. It's not good enough. Guys, what do you say? Why should I let you in? Do you say, well, I've been a good person. Well, I've made mistakes, but I mean, I'm not really out to hurt anybody. I'm I'm pretty moral. The result will be the same as with this man in the parable. The order will be cast him out into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or, if you were asked that question, would you be able to say, Father, there's no reason you should let me in, in and of myself. Only because of what Christ has done in my behalf. Jesus said, many are called. That is, the invitation goes out to many. Goes out to many. But few are chosen. Those are the ones. The chosen ones. We may have to save that for another time. But there's an outward call and an inward call. And the ones who get the inward call, the inner call, those whom God regenerates, They come and they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Some are invited and they reject. Some are invited and they appear to come, but they don't have the right attire. They're trusting in their own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. And then others... God's elect, 
God's chosen are regenerated by His Spirit, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and enjoy the feast. Would you stand, please? I can't save one soul. I can do this. I think this is what I'm called to do. Extend the invitation. Come to Christ. If you're here tonight and you don't know Him, I mean know Him. I don't mean know who He is. I know who Abraham Lincoln was, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I know who Barack Obama is, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I mean, do you know Jesus? And if you're here tonight and you do not know Him, come. Come to Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? Cry out to Him. Cry out to Him for mercy. Believe on Him. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that we would not turn a deaf ear to Your truth. Anybody in this room tonight, Lord, that does not know You, Lord, we, we, we know that what it takes to break through the heart of stone is Your power, Your intervention. So that's what we ask for. You're the God who saves. And Lord, may they submit to You and join the celebration. And Lord, for those of us who already know You, may we be faithful to shout the invitation. Come to the wedding feast. As you fill up your house. May it all work for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.